So we're here to talk about Gary Stewart and the new television series on the FX network. For listeners who are not familiar with this, Gary Stewart suddenly appeared about six years ago with claims that his father was the Zodiac. And he was all over the place back then. He was on TV and on the internet claiming that he had solved the case. And he really liked to brag about it. He often mocked and insulted people who questioned him or did not accept his claims. And I remember getting some angry emails from Gary Stewart back then. And I know I'm not the only one who had that experience. Mike, do you want to tell us a little bit about your first encounters with Gary Stewart? It's been so long now that I, I really don't remember uh, how it went down, if I contacted him or he contacted me. I, I know someone using his screen name posted on ZodiacKiller.com. And whoever that user was, if it was the real Gary Stewart, didn't take kindly to some of my critiques of his claims. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty uh, ruthless calling names and uh, just not very professional. And um, so that was my experience. I've never talked to him in person, never met him in person. So just to put that out there. Yeah, and that's a common experience with people who claim that they've solved the case when you don't accept their solution, <laughs> that they often attack you personally. Uh, Dave, do you have a story you want to contribute here about this? I guess I first started noticing him when he started to get all this attention for his book. And unlike some of the other people who have made outlandish claims about knowing who the Zodiac Killer is, his book just took off. It became a, a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. And so it was getting all this, this like unexamined attention. By that, I mean the media was giving him a pass to go on into interviews and talk about his claims without any kind of fact-checking going on. They would just basically repeat his claims and promote these news stories saying, oh, he's this guy from Baton Rouge has solved the Zodiac case. And so he went all over the media. And, and this had happened a few times previously with people who have made dubious claims because the media is just looking for a, a cool story to tell, something interesting to tell about an old mystery. And so they're pretty eager to to put up these um, people to do these kinds of stories. And the part of it that aggravated me the most was because my area is in the um, ciphers, uh, my knowledge about the ciphers and the claims that people have made about them over the years very quickly clued me into the problems that he had in his um, cipher claims in his book. And um, so that's when I really started to pay attention because I was really curious about well, what exactly is wrong with his claims with his codes? And, you know, is there any merit to them at all, to his claims? And if not, what exactly did he do wrong? Because, you know, a lot of people who look at code claims, they just kind of look at it and go, huh, that's interesting. And then they move on. They don't really get into, uh, you know, the technical analysis of why it might be right or why it might be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of stuff that I like to do. I like to go in and try to see, is there any merit to his claims? And... You know, around that time, he was also going onto the forums, as uh, Mike has mentioned, and he was very belligerent. There was some talk mm-hmm. that that might not have been him. Uh, somebody brought that up, and I'm not sure if there's any validity to that. But he sure did mm-hmm. act a lot like somebody who had Gary Stewart's motives in mind. Because, yeah, you know, if it wasn't him, it, they did a good job of <laughs> making everyone think it was him. I think somebody pointed out that the IP address behind that account on Tom's board uh, was from Baton Rouge, so from Louisiana. So it was consistent with where we expect Gary would be, um, you know, online from. 
So anyway, yeah, I did uh, read a lot of those exchanges between him and all the skeptics on the board. It was definitely very confrontational. He didn't take any kind of criticism well, nor did he really present any compelling reasons why those criticisms were not valid. Basically, mm -hmm. he would he would throw up his arms and say, well, everyone's just attacking me because they all have their own suspects. They all have their own theories and they want to promote their theories instead of mine. And, you know, it's like a just like a witch hunt against the, the guy who actually solved it because they're mm -hmm. jealous or something. You know, I've got this best selling book. And you know, that's the attitude he was projecting, whether it was him or someone posting on his behalf. Whoever it was, was making frequent bragging comments about how uh, long the book was on the uh, New York Times bestseller list and, you know, how many um, positive articles were written about him and his book and, you know, these non-critical pieces out there in the media, you know, basically giving him all this attention. And so he was kind of leaning on that as some kind of validation of his claims. I guess um, he finally got driven away from the forum and he hasn't really addressed any of the problems that people have come up with. And, and maybe some of that will come out of the show. I think Dave really hit something on the head too. As long as there's been a Zodiac, people have been trying to make claims of my brother was a Zodiac, my dad was a Zodiac, my uncle. And I think the, the big difference is Gary Stewart's the person that got a, a publisher to come along and sign up with him to bring this story to a, a national audience. I don't think we've ever seen that before with any of the other claims um, from those people. So I think that's one of the reasons this got as big as it did. Oh, yeah. And it also highlights another problem, which is that publishers normally put a book out for review before it's released so that critics can have a look at it and put out some positive reviews that'll generate sales. And with this, the book was basically hidden and kept secret until the day it was released. And then, as Dave mentioned, one of the other problems that always seems to happen with Zodiac books, the people who are writing reviews for major newspapers and magazines and websites usually don't know much about the case at all. So when they say this is meticulously researched or it's a great book and it solves the case or whatever, normally they don't realize what all the problems are with that book. And they don't understand that it really hasn't solved the case and it isn't compelling evidence. That was one of my major complaints was that I kept seeing in every review and every comment on Amazon and things that this book was meticulously researched and had compelling evidence in it. And when I read the book, I didn't see anything remotely resembling credible evidence in that book. So it's a problem that we have with book reviews in general. The people who write them don't know anything about the case, so you can't rely on their opinion of the validity of the book. And I think that probably carries over to television as well, because when, when they Hollywood wants to make these television shows, they don't know about the Zodiac case or whatever case they want to make a show about. They go out and look for people that do. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think the same things that play there that any book reviewers that are reviewing that book, they're, if they're not, if they haven't studied the Zodiac case in there, do, how well is it reviewed actually? Now, I think we should be clear that I would be very happy if Gary Stewart had actually solved the case. I think we would all be very happy to see the case solved, no matter who the Zodiac turned out to be. We all want to see the Zodiac identified, whoever he is or was. So the criticisms of Gary Stewart's book and his claims are about the facts and the evidence. However, Stewart was so arrogant and insulting when he first came out. And that arrogance and his degree of certainty were not justified by credible evidence linking his father to the Zodiac crimes. So 
he earned some of the ridicule and scorn that he received after the publication of his book. When the book first came out, I got an angry email from Gary Stewart. He was very upset about the criticisms of his book on my website. And of course, he bragged that he had solved the case and all that stuff. He also threatened that my failure to accept his claims would mean the end of my career, to use his words. Um, and about a year and a half later, I got another angry email from Gary Stewart on December 26, 2015. That email started out with the question, didn't Zodiac clearly emphasize my name is in the ciphers, which was a reference to Gary Stewart's solution to the ciphers. And then he goes on to complain about the article on my website, which debunked his claims. And he wrote, why did it take 16 months after the release of my New York Times bestseller for you to publicly debunk me? What a wannabe. And what he didn't seem to understand was that I had actually written that article shortly after his book was released. I just updated the format on my website, which means it gave it a new date, you know. But Gary apparently didn't remember that he had already complained about the article the first time. And he didn't bother checking the facts before he sent that angry email. And that last email ended with the kind of taunts you commonly hear from desperate people. He wrote, I've solved the case. It's unfortunate people without real purpose like you and Voight continue to pursue some boogeyman in a case that's beyond solved. And then he wrote, join Voight in finding Bigfoot. Then you might feel some self-gratification. And of course, that was a reference to Tom Voight of ZodiacKiller.com, who I'm sure could also share his own stories about his encounters with Gary Stewart. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like his tone. I mean, that, that matches the tone of the posts that were on the, uh, on the board. Previous to that, you know, like, like you said, he didn't shop the book around before it was published. The publishers decided that too. Like, mm -hmm. They shopped the book around and subjected to all this criticism. And I believe Gary has said before that he refused to engage people on the, on the Zodiac forums because he didn't want to get into arguments over his suspect. Um, but I guess that kind of changed, you know, as he was getting all this blowback from the, the Zodiac community at large, most of which was against his ideas. And he had a few supporters. He had a few other some kind of delusional code people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the people that just find connections everywhere, you could give them your tax return and they would find that it's a map <laughs> or something, you know, they would yeah. find ways to connect it to ridiculous things. But he had some support, but overall, nobody on the boards was very receptive, at least among the Zodiac community, the people who actually are familiar with the case. Uh, but then I guess he felt the need to come and address some of those criticisms. But just as you described, Michael, the approach was very similar to what your email suggests, which is, is a very aggressive, kind of an arrogant, really digging in his heels and not, not really addressing any of the real issues. He's mm -hmm. just reacting emotionally. And that, that's kind of a, an odd reaction. It's definitely unprofessional and it kind of reveals you know, what his real character is. And you kind of wonder like, what got him into this space where he feels like that that's the way he has to promote his ideas. You know, is, it, is it because he's desperate to, to keep this book you know, successful, to, to make sure that it's continuing to be successful so that it can lead to um, further opportunities for him, such as the, um, the TV show? And you know, there was talk about it being turned into a movie. I don't know if that's still 
going to happen. Mm-hmm. But there, there was an article a while back that's, that originally mentioned that it was going to be a documentary and then followed on by a feature film, which yeah. is suggestive of a, like a, a, like a biopic type of thing, a fictionalized version of his story which is ironic because it's already kind of fictionalized, at least the, yeah. the link to Zodiac. But the the part of it is that that's interesting is, you know, a person falls so deep in his own delusional rabbit hole that, that he either sincerely believes this stuff or he's trapped himself so much that he has to try to convince everyone of this lie. You know, it's, it seems like a lie, but maybe he's just delusional. Maybe he really, truly, sincerely believes this. And he's dug in so deep that, you know, he can't just come out of that through, you know, a rational process that everyone else is kind of expected to follow. So the mm-hmm. only way he can resolve it is to attack everybody because nobody's listening to him except, you know, if the few supporters that he has. And and I guess the general public, because his book really is popular. You know, it, yeah. it's sold a lot. It's generated interest. They've got a production deal for this documentary and so on. Um, so it's obviously working. So, you know, the, he may not have that much incentive to try to correct the record. Yeah. Well, and, I think you bring up another problem here, too, is that, you know, if you read Gary Stewart's book, you'll see in there that there's like a, a process that he goes through where they find this so-called evidence and then somebody else tells them how compelling that evidence is. And they talk about how exciting it is to include it in the book and everything. I think maybe part of the problem is that he never faced any scrutiny or questions at all until the book was released. So he'd been getting all this confirmation from people around him that made him feel like, wow, this is really important. This is really powerful evidence. And then when the book came out and he faced so much scrutiny and then ridicule, I don't think he was prepared for that at all. I think listeners probably haven't heard as much as we have, but if if we all heard, had a dollar for every time we heard someone say they solved the case, mm-hmm. we'd have a lot of dollars. Yeah. Um, um, so when you make that statement, you're going to get attention. When you make it on the scale that he made it, you're going to really get a lot of attention, and you're going to get people blowing back and saying, this is not correct, this is inaccurate, uh, this is not truthful. Um, so how he didn't expect to have that happen... Uh, is kind of surprising. That's right. Yeah, and it's kind of a, you know, I, I have a lot of empathy for him, you know, for for his original motivation, which was, I'm just trying to find out who my biological father is. Mm-hmm. You know, found out he was adopted, and, you know, he, it's a common story with um, people who've been adopted. They want to find out who their original parents were and why did they get put up for adoption. What's the backstory there? And you may want to meet them. That's a story that's really easy to identify with. That's a really great hook into this book. And I think that's why it's so um, successful is that it kind of links to a unique take. You know, we've heard plenty of people claim that their father, stepfather, uncle, you know, is is a Zodiac killer. But uh, that's kind of where the story ends. But for Gary, his story is unique because it's about looking for his biological father through his own research you know, into his family background and then eventually discovering the, you know, the, the newsworthy um, acts that his biological father was engaged in, you know, uh, marrying the, um, the underage girl and running off with her and being pursued by the authorities and so forth. That by itself is a, is a pretty interesting story. Uh, but then, then it just kind of goes off the rails with this bizarre 
connection to the Zodiac Killer through evidence that's weak at best. And that that's a really good point because his story is unique and is interesting on its own. I th- I think if the book was just about searching for his father and finding that, you know, I think it would be interesting nonetheless just to see how that unfolded and, and how they went to different states and sort of were on the lam. I, the Zodiac part is just almost a... Why don't we throw some Zodiac in here to spruce this up a little bit? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't, I, I just felt like it was one compelling story, whether it was true or not, you know, whether there are details and whether they're accurate or not can be debated. Uh, but, but when it came to the Zodiac part, it's almost like it was just an afterthought of, hey, you know, he's got glasses, he lived in California. Um, let's, he might he might have been Zodiac. Let's throw that in there. Um, so it's just it, it it's hard to digest um, that that part of the story. I think one of the other aspects that makes the book so appealing to so many people is because it sort of taps into something that is very compelling for a lot of people, which is the notion that there's some dark secret in my family. And when he finds this and starts going down this path, and it becomes darker and darker. I think especially right now during the true crime craze that's going on, this sort of merges two different things, which is your personal family story and a true crime story in a way that a lot of people find appealing. I'm really interested to know, like we, we always hear about or from Gary Stewart about his, his claims. You know, he's kind of like he's kind of the public facing uh, person behind the story. I mean, it's his story. But I think the other thing you have to consider is the the author, the, the, the co-author, uh, Susan Mustafa. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much do we know about her motivations to take on this story? You know, how, wh- what would she, how would she characterize, you know, getting interested in taking on this story and adapting it into a book? How much did she and the publishers kind of egg Gary on, you know, to, to make this connection? You know, did it all come from Gary or did, you know, some of it come from the publishers and the co-author? Yeah. You know, there's, there's elements of the story that involve, for instance, B.G. Dilworth. He's the, I think, a literary agent. Mm-hmm. And apparently Gary had gotten some of the code work ideas from him. Yeah. He says that, you know, he looked at the codes and was looking for ways to see the um, the name of the suspect, you know, Earl Van Best Jr. in the codes. And he came up with, uh, with a way to see it. So, you know, some of the some of the quote unquote evidence that he presents you know, comes from. You know, not him, but uh, some of the people behind the, the book are connected to it in other ways. Well, and that also brings up another good point, which is that Susan Mustafa said something to the effect of, you know, I wouldn't take on this book unless the evidence was there, something like that. I can't remember the exact quote. But when you look at it, where is that evidence? I don't see how any journalist could look at this information and find it compelling, let alone say, wow, this is something I have to jump on board with. So that always has bothered me a little bit about how, you know, it may be a little bit like the Don Quixote problem where Gary Stewart has a belief and then other people come around and reinforce that belief, which only contributes to the problem. Yeah. And there's a low bar for nonfiction in general. You know, there's not, it's not like when, you know, if somebody famous wants to write a memoir, you know, it's not like the publisher is going to go, okay, are all these memories accurate that they're describing in their memoir? You know, mm-hmm. they're just telling interesting stories and I want to publish them because I want to make some money. You know, I want to partner up with this with this person and get their book published. And, um, you know, those, those stories are really interesting, even if they're embellished or outright lies. 
And I think the same is true with um, with uh, with documentaries, whether they're on television or you know in in, uh, in movie theaters. As soon as you label something a documentary, it kind of takes on this automatic, you know, it has some um, uh, authority of, of the truth because of the way the stories are usually presented. They're usually presented with a veneer of of uh, rational uh, thinking. Mm-hmm. If you accept these premises, then you know, the conclusions that are being made make sense. And so that's what we see in a lot of, um, you know, nonfiction and in, uh, in documentaries is, you know, at first viewing or at first reading, it seems like, well, that seems true. That's a really interesting story and very compelling. And there is some evidence in there that seems like it makes sense. But if you really get into the weeds with it, I mean, you could probably find a lot of examples of where you know, things are just flat out wrong. It reminds me a little bit of these documentaries that came out a few years ago, these uh, pseudo documentaries or mockumentaries where it was about the Megalodon. The Sci-Fi Channel had this two hour documentary, which wasn't a documentary at all. It was filled with fake footage of CGI sharks and things like that, but it was presented as if it was true. There was also another show like that about the discovery of a mermaid. And it got all this attention, which I think was, of course, the plan in the first place. But people were outraged to find out that it wasn't true. And I think it's for entertainment. And that's where I think the line gets blurred a little bit between true crime and entertainment. And all of this brings up a really good point, which is that Gary Stewart claimed that he had presented more evidence implicating his father in the Zodiac crimes than any other suspect in history, which is a bold claim. Of course, that claim fell apart after his book and his claims were exposed to public scrutiny. The producers of the new TV series claim that this show will present new and never-before-seen evidence. So let's talk about the evidence which supposedly proves that Earl Van Best Jr. was the Zodiac. Gary Stewart claims that his fingerprint evidence matches the Zodiac fingerprint evidence. One of the fingerprints found at the scene of the Zodiac's last known murder has some sort of line in it, which could be a, you know, an artifact from the tape that was used to pick up the fingerprint or some sort of crease on the, the surface where it was. But Gary Stewart claims that it was a scar, and his father apparently had a scar on one of his fingers. And so they think that this fingerprint is a match, but in order to do it, you have to reverse the Zodiac fingerprint, which, of course... There's no evidence that the fingerprint was reversed when it was removed, so there's no reason to think you would have to reverse the fingerprint. What do you think of that claim? Well, I, I think the fingerprint has always been the holy grail of evidence in the Zodiac case. The The print on Paul Stein's cab has been the one that's ruled out a lot of people. So with that in mind, assuming it's his, you know, any kind of fingerprint match would be impressive. But in, in, until the police are the ones making the claim, hey, your fingerprint matches our, our crime scene, uh, we've got our guy, I don't hear any of this coming from the police. <laughs> so uh, if, if, if there was a match, I think we'd hear about that. And, and now, moving beyond the fingerprint, just to take out the possibility of, uh, of the fingerprint being from the wrong person, we're, we're hoping that this DNA can be recovered that's definitely from Zodiac, because then that can override handwriting, that can override a fingerprint. If we get DNA that's confirmed to be from Zodiac and is matched to somebody, that's going to conclusively solve the case. So um, 
the fingerprint is, is important, but you know, ultimately, if they're able to develop DNA in the case, that would probably be more important. And also, we should point out, there's no evidence that the fingerprint actually matches when the Zodiac print is reversed. It just appears that that's when the scar or this line lines up. And that's not really evidence. Yeah, um, and to the, to the listeners, what we're talking about are these old, grainy, black and white copies of, you know, 10th generation copies of stuff that mm -hmm. you're not looking at an original police evidence photo. Um, so who knows what kind of imperfections are on that image that every, that he's comparing and everyone else has seen. And if it was obvious that the print matched, it wouldn't be difficult to get the police department to agree to that. So I think that itself is part of the problem here. Part of the problem with Gary Stewart's book is that these kinds of claims are presented as if they're facts which prove that his father was the Zodiac. They're not presented in an objective and thorough manner where they discuss the problems with the theory as well. It's pretty much just presented, this is his fingerprint. There's a similar problem with the handwriting that was used in this case. Gary Stewart and his publishers hired a handwriting expert named Mike Wachschel, who said that he was, quote, virtually certain that Earl Van Best Jr. wrote the Zodiac letters. And then he went on to write his own book called The End of the Zodiac Mystery, which claimed that he had matched the handwriting. Do you want to talk a little bit about the handwriting fiasco? Well, this was the very first alarming thing that I, I remember happening was when, um, you know, one of the longtime researchers, Mike Bordelli, goes out and gets uh, his hands on an original copy of the marriage certificate. And lo and behold... You know, here's Earl Van Best's signature on there. Uh, here's the lady from the church. Her signature's on there. And, and the uh, the uh, minister that, that married them, his signature's on there. And it turns out that Earl Van Best's handwriting wasn't the one that Waukeshaw matched uh, to Zodiac. It was the minister. So now the minister is actually the one that, that has handwriting that matches Zodiac's which, uh, you know, right away that set off a, a little bit of a firestorm. For the listeners, Gary Stewart and Mike Wachschel claimed that they had these samples of Gary Stewart's handwriting on these marriage certificates and other documents from this church. And Mike Rodelli, of course, discovered that it wasn't Earl Van Best's handwriting on those documents, but it belonged to the Reverend. And so that really illustrated a serious problem with all of this, which really cast doubt on his expertise and then rushing out a book where you claim that you've solved the case. I mean, that must have been awful to publish a book and then the day it comes out, it's debunked. Yeah. How do you recover from that and write another a rewrite? <laughs> well, Gary Stewart tried to claim, well, I have other handwriting samples that match. And that raises the other question. Well, who did that comparison? Was it the same person that did the other comparison? And I believe that they're probably going to do something like that on the TV show, that they're yeah, going to try to bring out more. If not, then if they use the same writing expert, how are they going to do that if he's already identified the ministers having Zodiac's handwriting? But now he's also going to confirm that Earl Van Best has Zodiac's writing? Yeah. Um, so I, I think in, in a TV version... Um, that would be very problematic. So I think you're right. They'll probably have to dance around that because you can't have one guy saying it's two different people's handwriting that matches Zodiac because that, how's that work? And then from the other side of the coin, the general public that's watching this TV show, 
they don't know what we know that the, the handwriting matched the minister. So if they don't bring that up at the show, the the average viewer is never gonna know that that was an issue. So uh, I, obviously, I, I think they won't want to look foolish. They're gonna try and skirt that over. Yeah, I wonder if they'll even address it at all, or they'll just talk about it like it never happened. And I want to share a little story with you about all this, which was a couple of years ago, I got an email from a lawyer who asked me, is it true that the Zodiac case has been solved? And of course, I wrote back and said, no, I think you probably would have heard about it if it happened. And the lawyer said, well, the reason I'm asking is because I'm working on a case and it involves handwriting. And the other side has hired this expert who claims to have solved the Zodiac case. Oh. And it turned out to be Mike Walkshill. Oh. And the lawyer had never heard about all this other stuff before. So I said, well, there's some issues you might want to address about all this. And of course, the lawyer was stunned to hear that. Um, I don't know exactly how the case turned out, but I always thought that was rather interesting that, you know, this raises other problems for people who get involved in this. Because if you put out a book like that and make those kinds of claims and then go back into the real world, there's going to be problems. Yeah. And it, it, here's what it comes down to. I think, and I'm not a handwriting expert, I've never taken a course on it, but I think it's relatively easy to become a quote-unquote documents examiner. Um, I, you know, how many different, who was the girl that uh, that tried to back up uh, Dennis uh, Kaufman's claims? Um, yeah, I can't remember her name now. Yeah, but she was a handwriting expert too that said, well, unmistakably, it was uh, Jack Terrence's, uh, he's the Zodiac. So you have all these different, quote unquote, writing experts matching handwriting to suspects. So how many times can that happen? They're not, they're not all going to be right. They might all be wrong. Handwriting is, is it's not infallible. It's not, it's not an exact science. It, does it have its place as a tool? Has it helped clear people in cases or convict them? Sure. You know, every once in a while I'll talk to an investigator on the case and they will say something like, look, all I want is some some hard evidence, DNA, a fingerprint, a ballistics match, something like that. They want hard evidence. They don't want to have to leave it up to interpretation of, of getting a, a, a writing expert. And this case was built, obviously, on handwriting um, because there was so much of it and it was such a big part of the case that they needed to make a big part of, of documenting of the case from from writing experts. But I think back then, maybe maybe a little bit of a difference was someone like Sherwood Morrill, who did all the Zodiac uh, writing examinations. Back then, you weren't just an expert. You didn't go and send away for a, a, a two-week course to become an expert. You're, mm -hmm. You went through a lot of training. You were well-respected. Um, you built a reputation for yourself. It wasn't anyone could do that. So to say there's no place in the Zodiac case for handwriting would, would be um, a mistake but at the same time, uh, there's a lot of stuff getting introduced related to that that just is is bad and incorrect, and people are making mistakes or uh, even worse, uh, purposely misleading. Um, either way, you know, it's it's something that when it comes down to it, it's not as important to DNA or fingerprints or physical evidence. Experts who get their degrees from mail order companies and mm -hmm. experts for hire have always been a problem in this case. And I think, it, wasn't it uh, Nanette Barto? Wasn't that the name That's of the her, person yeah. who claimed that Dennis Kaufman's father was the Zodiac, his stepfather, Jack Terrence? And then there was Steve Hodell, 
who has a handwriting expert who claims that his father wrote the Zodiac letters. And then we have Mike Wachschel, who claims that Earl Van Best Jr. wrote the Zodiac letters. So obviously, you can't rely on some so-called expert's opinion because often their opinion might change depending on how much money they're paid or how closely they are involved with the person who's making the claims, which I think is what happened with Nanette Bartow. Uh, when she first came out, you know, she was claiming that Dennis Kaufman's father was the Zodiac and she had countless examples proving it. But of course, they never seemed to get a second opinion. And that's yeah. where I think the real issue comes into play here. I think one thing we should mention, too, and this is something that I found on my own through doing some research. I had once reached out to a, uh, a documents examiner, a handwriting examiner. It's, it's been so long now, I can't remember the woman's name, but she, was, she had some really good um, qualifications. And I asked her if she could determine if somebody's cursive writing would be the same author as the Zodiac printed writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, no, you can't tell... Um, if somebody's written in cursive and you look at something they wrote in printing, you can't tell if that's the same person. And then we, we got to talking a little bit and she says, listen, you know, if you go searching for any documents examiners, any reputable one's going to tell you if you're doing a side by side comparison and you're trying to link it to somebody like Zodiac, you need an original document. You need the original letters that he wrote, mm-hmm. uh, not seventh eighth ninth tenth twelve copies of copies of copies of copies because every copy just destroys the uh the little things they look for so she really gave me some good advice to to know that if if these quote-unquote experts don't have original zodiac writing uh original copies that they're spinning their wheels um because any anyone worth their salt would use those originals uh, the way Sherwood Morrill did when he did his examinations, he was using originals, not you know copies of copies. So I, I think that right there is a red flag for me. So there's not a lot of other evidence in Gary Stewart's book, and it comes down to basically a lot of guilt by association, where he claims that Gary Stewart once played music with a member of the Manson family, so I guess that means he's a murderer. And then there's also this idea that as the Zodiac, Earl Van Best was targeting the San Francisco Chronicle and reporter Paul Avery, who had covered the Zodiac case, because Earl Van Best Jr. was angry about stories that had been written by him during the time that he was involved with Gary Stewart's mother. Gary Stewart's mother was underage at the time that she met Earl Van Best Jr., and there was a lot of uh, coverage about that at the time. And claims that Paul Avery wrote these stories in the San Francisco Chronicle, which I believe have been referred to, what, as the ice cream romance stories or something like that? As far as I know, there's no evidence that Paul Avery wrote those stories. Have you heard anything to confirm that, Mike? You know, I I looked into it a long time ago. It's it's been so long now, I don't remember. Um, But I do remember the ice cream uh, romance uh, title that was given to it. Um, and I just can't remember if, if Paul was the author or not. But it could be uh, because, you know, Paul wrote about crime. Um, he wrote about that was mainly what he did. So if there was crime going on and it was being reported, uh, he may have written that. But, it, but again, they, it seems like a leap to say, hey, he wrote about these articles about me. Now I'm going to taunt him when, when I think it's clear that the, the Zodiac taunted him because he was writing about him constantly. 
the first letter sent to Paul Avery was what in October 1970. Mm-hmm. That would mean that Earl Van Best Jr. waited a year to go after this to you know further his grudge against Paul Avery. Doesn't make a lot of sense that he would wait that long if that was the motivation for targeting the Chronicle and Avery in the first place. The other evidence that Gary Stewart presents in his book concerns the Zodiac ciphers. He claims that he has found his father's name in the ciphers and that he has solved the other three ciphers that have remained unsolved for years. Now, Dave, you and I talked about Gary Stewart's claims before in a previous episode, but can you give the listeners a brief primer on his claims and his proposed solutions to the Zodiac ciphers? Sure, yeah. Um, So the crux of what he's claiming in his book is that because he's able to find his father's name in all four of the known Zodiac ciphers, that that's more evidence that the Zodiac is indeed his father, right? So he's somehow managed to find Earl Van Best Jr. mentioned in all four of the ciphers. So that seems, you know, on its surface to the layperson, that could seem like compelling evidence. You know, if the killer is hiding his name in the ciphers, that would seem to be pretty significant, right? But if you actually look at the claims, uh, the first one regarding the uh, 340-character cipher, the first way that he finds the name is by uh, interpreting symbols in the columns of that ciphertext. So that ciphertext is written out in a grid format, and so there's 17 columns of symbols in 20 rows. And what he did was he took one symbol out of each column and considered that symbol to be part of his father's name. And so he got it to say Earl Van Best Jr. um, written backwards, but with a a couple of major caveats. The main one is that he's interpreting the symbols very subjectively. For instance, he's treating the half-filled circle symbol as the letter E, and he's considering the uh, filled-in triangle as the letter A. And then what looks like a vertical line or the letter I, he's treating as the letter L, and so on. So he's taking all these liberties with how to interpret the symbols. And so he's taking one of these symbols out of each column, and it happens to, based on his interpretation, you know, it's not obvious when you look at it right away, but if you accept his interpretation, then it says Earl Van Best Jr. along those columns. And that only accounts for, you know, 17 out of the 340 total symbols that's in the cipher. But he's claiming, oh, that's how he hid his name in this puzzle. You know, maybe the rest of it's gibberish. I don't know what he thinks about what the rest of the cipher is, but... That could be one way to present it. Maybe the rest of it's gibberish and he's just hiding his name in it just to mess with people. But the problem with this claim is that if you take his steps and do them yourself, you can find thousands of other names apart from Earl Van Best Jr. You know, in, in the same way. Mm-hmm. So you can go and pick out other letters from each of the columns and you can make it say things like Timothy B. Greenwood or Clifton D. Pritchett and so on. <laughs> you come up with, you know, that's just a small sample of names that I found in it. And, but there's, there's just so many, you, there's not even room on my website to post it when I wrote the article about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the basic problem there is there's so many possibilities in the text, in the ciphertext, that you can combine the letters in so many different ways when you pick, when you pick them out of the columns like mm-hmm. Gary did. And you can make it, you can pull out thousands of other names. So that's the problem with the 340 approach that he's presenting in the book. Now, another claim is regarding the 408 character 
cryptogram, which we know the solution for, and that's the one that the Hardens solved. It's the very first cipher the Zodiac sent out. Gary's claim in that is that you can find a partial version of his name. So what Gary does with the 408 is that he writes out the plain text solution, you know, the one that we already know is the correct solution for the cipher. It goes, I like killing people because it's so much fun and so on. And he writes that alongside the um, cipher symbols. So he'll do a line from the plain text and then a line from the 408 cipher. And then he kind of alternates them in his illustration. So it's a mix of plain text and cipher text. And then he finds a spot in the cipher, this, this really small area of the, uh, of the cipher mixed in with the plain text, where you can read EV best JR in a, in a kind of like multidirectional, kind of like a word search. Mm-hmm. Where start in one direction and read it off in a different direction and kind of follow a path. So that's all it is, is that he found EV best JR in this arrangement of the 408 and the plain text. But again, this has the same problem that the, four, that the 340 claim has, which is, well, you can find thousands and thousands of other phrases and names using the same method. And there's nothing stopping you from changing the arrangement of the plain text and the ciphertext to make even more names appear. Because if you did find a name that was interesting, maybe you would just present it that way. And so that's, that's the problem with these claims, is that there's no way to distinguish between the name that you're interested in, in Gary's case, Earl Van Best Jr., and the thousands of other names that can come out of the same method. So if you can make it say Earl Van Best Jr. and a thousand other names, you haven't proven that Earl Van Best was the intentional placement of a name in that, uh, in that cipher. It's indistinguishable from from coincidence. If you arrange them the way that Gary has, you can start to see things that aren't really there. So as far as the 13-letter cryptogram goes, so that's the, the third cipher that Zodiac sent out, it happens to be the same length as the name Earl Van Best Jr. You count up the letters in Earl Van Best Jr., it comes out to exactly 13. But that's the only claim that he makes with that. I mean, it's obvious why that's problematic. It's because... You know, you can find thousands of other names that are 13 letters long. And he's not offering any kind of substitution key for each of the individual symbols that would add up to that name. He's just saying it's 13 characters long and so is my father's name. Exactly. He still has a burden of proof that he hasn't met, you know, a a threshold of evidence. You know, how do we know that this is an intentional design? If somebody wrote down 13 random symbols, you know, anyone could say that a 13 letter name would fit it. So you need more evidence than that, that that was the intent of the person writing down those 13 symbols. And that, you know, the same thing's true with the other, the other two claims, with the 408 and the 340. You can produce a name out of them, but you have to prove that it was intended because there are thousands of other ways to make names out of the same methods. And so you can't just assume that it's true just because you happen to be interested in that suspect when I try to point out these kinds of problems with other solutions that have been presented to me, the pushback I often get is, well, you have to consider it combined with all the other evidence. Like, like somehow that makes it more true. Yeah. That there's all this other circumstantial evidence that they think they have on their suspect. And so that should make it more true that the name is put there intentionally. That goes along with the notion that if you take zero and zero and add them together, you'll get one. Where it's right. Yeah. <laughs> you just add a bunch of zeros, it's still a zero. That, that's a, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Another way I like to think about it is 
if you have a map to Atlantis and no one's found Atlantis yet, you have no way to compare how good the map is compared to other maps. Yeah. <laughs> so as, as I'm looking at, you know, one person comes up with Earl Van Best in one site in, in that cipher. Another person comes out with Arthur Lee Allen out of the same cipher. But both of them have this problem of multiple names appearing. One isn't better than the other. You know, you can't compare them. Like which because that very often people will say, "Well, my solution is better than all the other ones I've seen," but that's like saying my zero is bigger than your zero <laughs> because there's no. Yeah. You, you still haven't met the threshold of evidence. Like you have to prove that there's some intent behind it, and that's what you can evidently see from the 408 solution. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very clear and consistent method. You, you are producing a message that is coherent, that's understandable, and you're doing it not by introducing a whole bunch of weird steps to the decryption process. The 408's key is only, uh, what is it, 53 or 54 characters long. So there's 54 different symbols. So all you do is plug in the right letters for those 54 symbols, and you get 390 letters in normal English. And so you're, you're not adding that information in. You're not like forcing these sentences to come out because you're only changing 54 things. And that makes that entire coherent message pop out. And there's no other message that comes out of that, you know, using the same method. So that's, you know, the threshold of evidence was met by that solution. Gary's approaches to finding his dad's name in the cipher does a very poor job of meeting that threshold. What do you think would happen if Gary Stewart took these cipher claims to a, a professional cryptographer who worked for the government and where it would be scrutinized on the same level it would be as if it was part of an investigation? He may have tried to do that before, because I think a lot of people try to do that. They, they, they convince themselves that they're onto something and they'll, they'll pass it along to the authorities and then it just disappears. You know, they don't get any response back. They don't get confirmation or rejection. It just goes into a file somewhere. And the, the main reason for that is probably that most investigators can tell, uh, especially anyone dealing with cryptography, uh, they can tell pretty quickly if the solution has merit. And when you're looking at all these tips coming in, you know, any good investigator is going to have to prioritize which ones are worth looking into. You can't go and look at every single one of them. Otherwise, you would never have time to to look at something that has the potential of being the right answer or the right lead. You know, if you if you chased every every possible tip, they can't all be right. So you're you're spending a lot of time, you know, on wild goose chases. And so you have to have a way of categorizing the priority of these claims that come in. So I don't know if Gary went through that process. You know, I'm based on what he put in the book, it seems like he may have tried to do that, but didn't get any traction with it, so he decided to get some traction with it by publishing a book. And that's a that's a path a lot of people have gone down. In fact, there's a book on Amazon now that just came out that has somebody's solution for the 340 that they came up with because they don't get any response back. They don't get any feedback from the authorities or you know experts on the on their solution. So they decide, well, I'll just put it out there, and if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. But at least I got it out there, and maybe someone will read it one day. I can't see any professional cryptographer being impressed by this stuff. And if any of the listeners are interested in exploring this any further, they can go to your website, ZodiacKillerCiphers.com, and read the article. I believe it's titled The Most Pattern-Seeking Animal of All. That really breaks down a lot of the problems with Gary Stewart's cipher solution. So you might want to check that out.
we were talking before about how they didn't shop his book around because they would get all this blowback from the, they, they probably knew that they were going to get all this blowback from the Zodiac community. They didn't want to kind of infect the process with all this negative criticism. Right. And I'm thinking the same thing's going to happen with the show because in the time between, you know, all the uh, blowback from the forums and all the Zodiac researchers and so on, you know, all that criticism, he's had time to digest all of that stuff. And in this show being produced, you know, the, some of the episode descriptions suggest that they're going to present something new related to his claims. And that, so that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Now he's got another forum that he doesn't face criticism over because it's just going to show up on TV all of a sudden, you know, just like the yeah. book just showed up all of a sudden on the bookshelves. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't have to face any kind of like peer review or you know analysis and scrutiny from people who are actually familiar with the case. So I think the same thing's going to happen with the show. And the show is titled The Most Dangerous Animal of All, and it's scheduled to air on the FX network. And I think it's probably uh, worth noting that in one of those episode descriptions, they don't refer to it as the Zodiac community. They refer to it as Zodiac fanatics. Now, Dave, you and I were both interviewed for this show last year, and the producers claimed that the show would be skeptical of Gary Stewart's claims. So that's one of the reasons why I agreed to get involved. Now, the interview turned out to be one of those things. It was one of those weird days where I didn't get a lot of sleep. I jumped on a plane. I flew out to L.A. I jumped in some car and went to some house in some neighborhood. The producers were behind schedule because the crew had been delayed when their car broke down or something. So I went to this McDonald's nearby and waited. And then I came back and waited while they set up everything. And we were in this rented house and the owner was still there and kind of like hovering over everything. And there were all these technical problems. Uh, I was in this really small room with all of these hot lights in my face, which I'm, of course, you're all uh, used to. I was sitting in this awkward chair and there were all these problems like noises from planes and issues with the sound and the lighting. And the interview just seemed to go on and on forever. And the questions were all over the place, skipping around various topics and then coming back. And at one point near the end, I got a little mixed up about some of the dates. We, we were talking about the suspected Zodiac letters of 1974. And I just could not remember the date of the Count Marco letter. And I got mixed up about which letter was sent on which date and everything. That'll probably be the part of the interview that's in the show. <laughs> you know, it happens sometimes. You get a little confused and you, you say, oh, hey, can I start that over or whatever? Because you want to make sure that what you're saying is correct. So I'm curious to see how the interviews will end up and how they'll portray those of us who were critical of Gary Stewart, because that's why they sought us out in the first place, was because we'd been critical of his work. And when they claimed that they were going to be skeptical, I think we both thought, well, that means they're actually going to address these issues. So Dave, do you have anything you want to share about your interview experience and all of that? First of all, if you're worried about the impact that your mistake about the date of the Count Marco letter will have. At least you didn't go on TV saying that your dad is the Zodiac killer with scant evidence. <laughs> so you've you've yeah. got that going for you. <laughs> it's all relative, yeah. It's all relative. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think my experience was as chaotic as yours, uh, but it was interesting that they were filming in the, in the house. It's a really, it was a really nice house. And I think that this big story behind that house was that it was the place that Goodwill Hunting was written, where uh, Matt really? Damon, and, yeah, 
like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck stayed there back in whenever whenever they were writing the the screenplay for uh, the movie Goodwill Hunting. I thought the interview went well. They were all pretty nice, and they told me the same thing that they were they, they were skeptical about the Zodiac claims, but they had hired a, um, a private investigator to look into the Zodiac claims and and his and and his you know adoption status and all that kind of stuff. And apparently, they confirmed that you know the story about his relations to Earl Van Best Jr. are valid. His claims are correct, but that the Zodiac stuff wasn't checking out. So I don't know how that translates to how their narrative's going to go in the show. I got the impression that they were super skeptical of Gary's claims about the connection to the Zodiac case. And that was the main reason they brought me. They wanted me to go over the analysis of his um, code claims because that was a big part of the evidence that he's presenting. And they knew about my work and the um, article that I'd written that went into detail, but they wanted me to kind of try to boil that down into something understandable on camera. So I showed up with, you know, like visual aids to try to demonstrate what exactly is wrong with the uh, approach and how you can use the same techniques to, to generate a whole bunch of other names. You could probably implicate everyone who was in the room by finding their names, you know, <laughs> using the method. And so that's what, that was the main reason I was there. But so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because, you know, there, there is already a lot of pushback on the show from the Zodiac community. There's, I've been posting on the forums about the, the show coming out soon and the promotional material that's coming out about the show. And, you know, people are already, you know, the bristles are out. They're already on the attack about yeah. Gary Stewart because they know that you know, they already know his history and the, the low quality of his um, evidence. Mm -hmm. So they're very reluctant to to be uh, interested in a show that kind of promotes, you know, more mythologies about the case, which, you know, it's not it's hard to blame them for that. Uh, I don't like it that much either. But so what I'm hoping is that the show, as it goes, it'll start with Gary's point of view. So I think what will happen is they'll present Gary's point of view and, you know, that'll be a compelling story by itself because that's what sold the book. But then towards the end is when things will get a little more interesting with the, uh, with the skepticism of the Zodiac community and, you know, the problems with his evidence. At least I'm hopeful that that's how it'll play out because that's, that's a pretty dramatic turn and it would make for an interesting show. Yeah. You know, you've got this guy who's got this really interesting story and then it's like connected to an even bigger interesting story about an unsolved serial killer case. The fact that he got so deep into that belief is itself a good story. It's an interesting story because that's a very common story with this case. People get uh, fixated on their on their suspect, who they think the Zodiac is. And we've seen hundreds of them. It's the common theme of obsession. The producers were very professional and they did say, you know, we're going to be scrutinous of this. I have no idea what to expect from the final cut of the show, but the producers made some statements which have raised some concerns about the possible sensationalism of the show. The producers claim that the case could have been solved if it wasn't for the interference of some specific investigator. Probably someone at the San Francisco Police Department is who they're going to name. Gary Stewart's mother married a man who worked for the San Francisco Police Department, and Gary Stewart claims that the department somehow conspired to conceal his father's connection to the Zodiac crimes. 
And it seems that the show is going to claim that the case could have been solved. And that means that they know how it could have been solved, right? And that Gary Stewart's father was identified as the Zodiac, but the SFPD covered it up and allowed the killer to escape justice. Now, this is a typical claim from people who have been dismissed or ignored by police. The idea that authorities are conspiring to conceal the truth that their suspect was the Zodiac. Now, Mike, what do you think of Gary Stewart's claim that police covered up this connection between the Zodiac and his father because Stewart's mother married someone who worked for the San Francisco Police Department? Do you think that has any merit? I think it's it's ludicrous. Um, and I, I think it's pretty telling that Gary Stewart's own birth mother, who went through this experience that's detailed in the book, uh, and I assume will be touched on in the film in some capacity, I, I find it. Uh, funny that she wasn't involved and she lived the experience um, but based on the email she sent me shortly after the book was published um, she essentially says it's 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 a work of fiction <laughs> so she did mention her husband that she married and how he was blamed for somehow wanting to sweep the zodiac case under the rug and the the whole san francisco police department just to save his feelings and, and uh, um, not causing problems between him and his wife said, okay, we're just going to sweep the Zodiac case under the rug. It's just, it's laughable. Um, and, and again, if, if, you know, we didn't know the details and I didn't read these emails from his birth mother to me, then I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't know what to think, but seeing it from the inside person that, that was there that went through these events outlined in the story, um, it, as opposed to Gary's view or Gary's take or his imagination, um, you know, I put a little bit more stock in what she has to say. Well, and I think we should point out, Gary Stewart's mother told People Magazine that she could not imagine that her ex-husband could have been capable of such violence. And she said that she was shocked at the notion that Earl Van Best Jr. was the Zodiac, and she referred to Gary Stewart's claims as fiction. So that raises some questions about all of this as well. And there's also another synopsis for episode four of the TV series that says that Gary Stewart is armed with DNA, which links his father to the Zodiac crimes. Now, that would be pretty big news if it was true. So, Mike, do you think that the San Francisco Police Department or the Vallejo Police Department would find DNA evidence that actually linked Earl Van Best Jr. to the Zodiac crimes, but then wait for that announcement to be released in a paragraph of an episode summary posted on some website. Well, I almost hope that, you know, just me personally, I almost hope they're holding it to the same time that the show airs to drop it and say it's actually somebody else. Hey, we saw the case <laughs> and it's not, it's not a real bad mess, but the fact they would coordinate around uh, a TV show's uh, schedule of release for naming a serial killer, um, I yeah, I just don't I don't see that. Do you think there was a word missing from there that it was Gary Stewart is armed with DNA, which well, he thinks links his father to the Zodiac crimes, or what? What would explain the the idea that they would release this information through some random website instead of making an announcement, having a press conference? It doesn't make sense to me at all that yeah. any of this would be left up to the TV producers. So, so if he has DNA evidence linking his father to the Zodiac case, that means there's DNA in the Zodiac case, which is something that's been a, a whole nother uh, podcast episode about. But 
you know, there is, it's no secret they've been working on ways to get DNA samples and get them tested with the latest technology in the hopes that they could one day uh, develop a profile that's that's uh, usable for uh, genealogy. Because from there, they can just track uh, the family tree and, and figure out who Zodiac was. Um, so, you know, obviously we hope that they can develop a, a good profile that's good enough to do that. But for him to say he's got DNA that links his father to the case, that means they have DNA and evidence that is, is unquestionably Zodiac's. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way you could make that claim. So it, maybe that's a, something as simple as, hey, um, I've got my dad's hairbrush. You know, I've got my dad's mm-hmm. uh, this or that. Or, you know, even he, I, you know, if, if there's a, the right DNA profile and enough of it, you know, he as his biological son could give a sample and they could tell if, if he's related to the Zodiac or not. Uh, but again, this all comes back to does uh, San Francisco or Vallejo or any of the uh, other agencies have Zodiac's known confirmed DNA profile? Um, and I think until we know that, there's no way, you know, that Gary Stewart can make that claim and, and it be true. Well, and also, I think we have to ask the question, if the Zodiac DNA did not match Earl Van Best Jr., do you think Gary Stewart would accept that and drop it? Or would that just be another part of the conspiracy theory? So I don't know what to expect from this show. It's going to air March 6th on the FX network. And I think it's interesting that... All four episodes are being dropped in one night, which sometimes is an indication that the network doesn't have a lot of faith in the show because they don't think people will keep coming back to tune in. Now, Dave brought up an interesting point that the show is also available on Hulu and that they may have decided to dump all four of the episodes because binge watching is part of the whole streaming video services now. Uh, honestly, I'm not going to watch it. Uh, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't say that's a hell say, of a review, Mike. Yeah. I, I can honestly say I have no interest in it. Um, I've seen this movie before, um, based on falsehoods, based on lies, based on inaccurate information. Uh, there's no need for me to watch it. I can, if I want to watch a good fictional movie, I'll just turn on something on Netflix. That's just my personal take. I'm sure you guys are going to watch it. I hope you will give me uh, your take on it. Well, we kind of have to watch it if we're going to have an opinion about it. But I think we know where you stand now, Mike. So uh, what do you think, Dave? Um, I'm I'm looking at a quote uh, from the executive producer, uh, someone named Ross Dinerstein. And the quote is that the show is really a continuation of the book, calling the book one-sided, while the show will be more skeptical. So that's a quote from the executive producer of the show. So the little bit of hope that I have that the show will present a, you know, accurate view of reality, mm-hmm. you know, hangs on that little statement <laughs> from the mm-hmm. EP. You know, he's saying that, you know, the show's going to be more skeptical, quote unquote, whatever that means. Is it, but you know, that could always be interpreted as uh, it's more skeptical of the Zodiac fanatics. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, the, the book wasn't fanatic. skeptical at all. So any skepticism would be more than the book. The producers seem like nice people. They seem very professional. They seem like they were genuinely interested in this topic. So I suppose it's also possible that a lot of this is just the promotion, the hyping of it, and that to get people interested in it. And then when the show actually airs, it may actually be a more 
contemplative and in-depth look at this situation through the prism of Gary Stewart's obsession. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping. Uh, there's a documentary that that comes to mind, Grizzly Man. Oh yeah, by by Werner Herzog about the guy who's like living with grizzly bears up in the Pacific Northwest until until the fateful day where they actually like a bear actually eats him. Mm-hmm. You know, because he he's developed this like confidence around bears for so long, and you know it seems like he's on the right path to understanding these creatures and living with them and all this stuff and promoting their preservation and protection. But then, you know, he screws up and a bear eats him. And it's this horrific thing because um, they had a recording of it and all this. But the way the documentary is set up is it starts off being really sympathetic towards him about like, oh, this is just a guy who's a conservationist. He's an animal lover. He's, you know, everyone loves him. He's protecting bears. He knows a lot about bears. But then it gradually shifts its tone to being a little more critical of his choices in that pursuit of his interest in bears mm-hmm. because he was starting to take on his risky behaviors of like thinking that he understood them enough to live with them without any danger. And so this kind of accumulates through the documentary until the point where obviously he gets, you know, the, the consequences of his uh, bad decisions that catch up to him and he loses his life over it. And so that's what I'm hoping is that that made for a very interesting documentary that they didn't present just one side of, of this story. And so that's what I'm hoping for, for this documentary, because that would make it much more interesting than just them recounting Gary Stewart's story without any, you know, other layer to it. So that's what I'm hoping for. You know, I, I have some doubt that that's the case because of my experiences with TV shows in the past where yeah. <laughs> you know, things, things were recorded in one under one assumption, but ended up being presented a different way because of editing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I have personally been through that. Uh, but in this case, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will turn out differently, but we'll see. In this scenario, I guess the bears would be the Zodiac fanatics. <laughs> <laughs> mingling among them and may not survive. Of course, now, a lot of the people who are critical of Gary Stewart have other suspects, so it's easy to write them off as competitors who are jealous or angry or something. I'm hoping that this show will take an honest look at all of this. And as you said, it, in the beginning, it may be a little more sympathetic towards him, but hopefully in the end, it'll at least be factual, because I don't have any problem with Gary Stewart as a person. We all want this case to be solved, and if that's what he did, that would be great. I just don't happen to believe that that's what's going to happen, and I don't think that that's what the show's going to do, but I would certainly be thrilled to be proven wrong. I'm not going to watch it. I'll wait for your reviews, and I know you guys will be honest about it, so I look forward to seeing what you guys say about it. And More importantly, I look towards uh, real developments in the Zodiac case in, in 2020. Me too. Well, thanks for doing the show, guys. It was great to have you on, and we'll have to get together and discuss what happens after the show airs. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Anyone who's interested in true crime stories is invited to join me on the House of Mystery radio show with host and author Al Warren. Some of the recent episodes have been about the Aaron Hernandez case, the story behind the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa as told in the new Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman, and many other interesting true crime stories. 
Episodes air Tuesdays through Saturdays on the NBC News Radio affiliate, KCAA Los Angeles. And you can also listen on Spotify, TalkStream Live, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, PodBay, Spreaker, and more. Thanks for listening to Zodiac A to Z. Zodiac A to Z